Hey, this is Nick Walters again with the Industrial Hemp Growers Digest. And this webinar Wednesday is with our friend Morgan Elliott, who is full-time working for IND Hemp, uh, which is in Fort Benton, Montana. I've had the pleasure of being out there twice to see the great work that they're doing. Morgan also lends her time, along with her father, Ken, on the Hemp Feed Coalition. And you may or may not be aware that the FDA actually regulates what type of feed you feed to an animal that you're going to eat. So how it goes into the feed for cattle or for chickens or for pork, all of that has to be approved by the FDA. Well, there's a lot of things the FDA has not approved yet as far as uh, what feedstocks with hemp that you can put into uh, animal feed. And so the Hemp Feed Coalition is doing yeoman's work to really not only open up those doors for hemp growers, but it's a huge market that uh, our hemp growers can participate in. So Morgan gives us an overview of the Hemp Feed Coalition. You'll really like hearing from her. Okay, I think we are live and ready to go. Terrific. So Hey, this is Nick Walters with the National Hemp Growers Cooperative, and we are glad to have uh, you uh, watch or dial in or participate in our weekly uh, Wednesday uh, webinar series of talking to people who are in and around and involved uh, with all things going on hemp. And we are tickled to death today to have uh, Morgan Elliott with us. Morgan is uh, I don't know what's your title at IND Hemp, Morgan? Uh, I'm heard. Yeah, COO. COO, terrific. Everybody needs an acronym of some initials after their name to be right. able to prove that you're real, right? So, um, <laughs> so Morgan is coming to us live from Fort Benton, Montana. And in addition to what they do at IND Hemp, she also is heavily involved with the um, uh, uh, Hemp Feed Coalition. And so we want to know all about that and what the coalition's doing. And we want to know a great deal about you, Morgan, and what IND Hemp's doing. So we're going to be uh, really laid back and cool. And so anybody that's got any questions that wants to be able to uh, put those into the chat box or to do the little hand raise, I'll do my best um, uh, to get all that done. I'm not in my regular office today. Actually, I'm looking a little... A little sunny there. Okay, so uh, that would be like my my degree in lighting uh, contracting is is very short, so that won't that won't prove too well. So um, Morgan, tell us about your background, um, how you got to hemp through uh, uh, coming from uh, large agriculture space and and your background in that, and kind of what you uh, do at IND Hemp, and tell us about the cool things going on at IND Hemp, and then we'll just kind of talk more about the coalition. Is that cool? Okay. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me on here, and um, it is currently snowing here in Fort Benton, so, which we desperately need the moisture, um, so it's a little cooler, but probably not uh, not what you're seeing where you're at, but uh, so like Nick said, um, I'm a, the COO for IND Hemp, um, but really I just wear a lot of hats. You know, my dad and I started this company back in 2018. So before that, um, I worked for ADM. I was a process and project engineer for several years, uh, located in Decatur, Illinois. So that's where 
a lot of their major processing, there's a, a large corn um, processing facility and uh, soybeans as well. Um, so I came from food manufacturing. I came from big ag. I got my degree in chemical engineering um, from the University of Missouri, Columbia, and um, didn't ever have aspirations in being in food manufacturing, but found myself there. And ADM was a fantastic company to work for right out of college. I really enjoyed my time there. Um, they just exposed you to so much um, being one of the largest ag and, and food manufacturing companies in the world, you just have exposure to a lot of different equipment, different processes, and a really good, um, you know, plethora of people and mentors to call upon. So I'm very thankful for my, my years there and got to cut my teeth per se on that. And, and they really like throw you into the mix. And so it was a very hands-on learning experience, um, which gave me an appreciation for just the mechanical side of it too. And, and I think that that helps serve my role now um, in communicating with operations team and, and working with our farmers because with, with the physical work of making widgets per se, um, it's, it's all very theoretical when you're just in a business behind a desk and um, you don't always appreciate the, the sweat and tears that go into it. Um, and so I, I think that that's important to, um, to incorporate in any processes. I mean, it's very similar to farming, right? Like guys think, you can just, well, if you put it in the ground, it grows, right? And like, it's super easy to harvest. And so people that aren't in agriculture don't have, you know, at least a season under their belt of experiencing life on the farm. They don't know about all the hard work that goes into it. So, um, but yeah, back in 2018, dad kind of came to me. He's been working in hemp for, um, since 2014. He has the first license in Montana to grow industrial hemp. And, and he kind of came to hemp for phytoremediation purposes. His background is environmental work, and he was looking at using hemp to help clean up an old um, oil refinery site. And so um, he always kind of knew he needed to be in the space and, and somehow found himself one of the experts in the state of Montana, which we kind of laugh about. Um, but, uh, you know, he's come a really long way. And, and when he came to me saying like, hey, I really think we need to do something here. Um, at that time, I had, I had left ADM. We started a nonprofit. And so I was kind of on the road in between my career and, and this other um, venture that we were working on. And turns out you need a job to make money and to live off oh, of. Oh, it. Don't you hate <laughs> it when that happens? Huh? Yeah. So when dad came to me with the uh, opportunity to possibly work together and then um, what this hemp thing was, I was like, well, all I can do for you is, is help build you a building and a facility. That's about all I can do. And I quickly got interested, you know, I think the, the very first phone call, we were talking to some people about seed and production rates and, and um, processing equipment. And so I just quickly um, fell in love with it. And that was October of 2018 and the farm bill passed in December. And it literally just felt like the, you know, the gas is to the floorboard ever since then, right? Like we just haven't ever let, let off at all. Um, so that's exciting. We started with our oilseed facility here in Fort Benton. So we, we crush oil and we dehull seed. So we have hemp seed oil, hemp seed protein and meal, um, hemp hearts and hemp hulls that leave our oilseed facility. Most of it for food. Um, we're all, it's all out of a food grade facility, but most of it for food and human consumption. Um, we actually just passed the governor signed a bill that we, uh, we're really excited about um, moving forward in the state of Montana uh, two days ago. And so that will allow us to make some feed products for horses and dogs. Um, and so we're moving forward on that. And, um, and then we're also starting our fiber facility. So when we first got into 
talking about oil and, and grain and production around here with the farmers, you know, it's always like, well, what am I supposed to do with this straw that's left over in the field? And, and it was a nuisance, right? Like most of our guys out here don't love the idea of, of um, burning their fields. And we don't love that either. You know, that's not a sustainable um, practice. And so we always knew we'd be in a fiber at some point and, and kind of kept our, our feelers out there for what to do. But it wasn't until um, late 2019 that we really started getting engaged. And now we're building a 52,000 square foot building and bringing equipment in next week um, from uh, the Carolinas to have a five, 10 an hour decortication line up and running um, at the end of this summer. So it- so That's slower for people like me who, who talk slow <laughs> and listen slow. That's Sorry. five tons an hour. Yep. A, 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 a fiber processing facility that is, that is what's going in under that 52,000 square foot foot space there in Fort Benton. Yeah. So I always tell farmers because like, that's just a number, like most people can't comprehend. And so I was like, that's 10 round bales an hour. So when you think about like, there's usually 26 round bales on a flatbed trailer. And so like, if we're running, you know, a half of that in an hour, we've got a lot of, a lot of straw going through there. And, um, and so the, the products coming out of that facility will be cleaned hemp herd, um, at varying sizes, uh, we will come out, we'll have retail packaging available. Um, so compressed bags of 33 pound, which is what you typically see in like the hempcrete world. Um, that's what the building material kind of space, um, also large animal bedding. So like horse bedding for stalls like that, usually those 33 pound bags. Um, we'll also have smaller retail bagging for, um, like gerbils and bunnies and things like that that you'd find in like Walmart or Target, uh, Chewy.com, things like that. We'll also do sizing. And so we'll run that herd through some sizing equipment and cleaning equipment so that we can really uh, tailor those herd um, specs to what the customer needs. A lot of that's going into like biocomposites, um, things like that. Uh, and then the fiber will also come off a clean fiber that we're hopefully getting to the specifications that we need for um, lots of different uh, opportunities like textiles on wovens, um, things like that, where we're just figuring that out and, and working with guys right now to do some trials on the fiber genetics because it does take some special genetics and agronomy practices to do that. So I'm the first to tell you that like, I don't know what I'm doing in fiber. I have a, a really good team around us. Um, We've engaged with a lot of people. So we're trying to learn as fast as we can and then also share what we're learning as we go because there's just too many train wrecks, I think, and um, a lot of people are interested. And so if we can if we can do what we can to help um, save save some money and save some time, we'll definitely try and help. Outstanding. And, and let me just say for all the folks watching and, and paying attention to, I had the opportunity to go to Fort Minton, I guess about a month ago, somewhere along that line, maybe a little bit longer and spent a great afternoon and evening there and got to see all this stuff firsthand and the team and, and meet all the folks. And, and I'll, I'll say that um, Morgan's dad, Ken and Morgan as well, and anybody on the team are all very open and willing to share the things that they know. They're not trying to hoard information or think that they're the only people that have the answer. They are, like many of us who are in this uh, industry, <clears throat> particularly what is quite frankly, you know, it's kind of an immature industry when you look at it in a, in a, in a um, longevity spot. And so finding those right people who are willing to help and people who are wanting to understand that 
you know, <clears throat> a rising tide lifts all ships that, that it's really about building the industry and y'all are certainly a part of all that. So it's Thanks. a great place to visit. So I would, uh, I would recommend it to anybody who would, who would take their time to go up there and find you're going to Fort Benton, by the way, you're not on the way to nothing else. No. You're going there. Okay. <laughs> I mean, so it's not like I just happened to be tripping through here. It's not like being in St. Louis or something and decide, Oh, I think I'll whip over here and see. No, you're going there. So when you're going there, you know, you know, you're there for a purpose, but it's. A but don't forget, scene. we got the great historic, uh, you know, attractions here as well this is the first town in montana that lewis and clark came to and so we have yes. for a very small community we have seven different museums and uh so yeah it's, it's even though it's definitely a little bit out of the way i think it's a great spot especially if you're interested in like the you know the frontier the american frontier and that history no doubt. it's great history nerds like me you know love spots like that i made your dad stop at every sign that we could stop along the way which he was great <laughs> great willing to do so tell us um, about the coalition and kind of what it does and what you're involved. We're proud members at the National Hemp Growers Co-op. So we're members of the, of, of, of the Hemp Feed Coalition and glad to, to do our little part there. But think about, um, I mean, tell us kind of about the structure and how you guys work. And then what is this main focus? Educate us on what all is involved in being approved to put into a cow what you could put into your own body and where that where that differentiator is and yeah. what you're all about so hemp Feed coalition i think is probably one of the best if not the best um, organizations that have come out you know there's so many out there right now and i know a lot of people have great intentions but the reason i particularly like the hemp Feed coalition so much is because there's a lot more people involved than just people in the hemp space and, and that's so valuable because like we need the maturity of these other industries surrounding us and helping us. So we have experts from the laboratories. We have experts from the supplement committees. We have experts from um, universities. And so it's not just a bunch of hempsters that like keep drinking the Kool-Aid and keep telling each other how cool they are. Like there's always a time and a place for that. Like, don't get me wrong, but it, it seems to not have been as um, as fruitful than I think this, this, uh, committee is. And so, um, I'm on the steering committee. My dad's the president, um, and on the board of directors and, um, there's different other committees that I think are all have a very clear, uh, goal and definition of what they're trying to do. So there's like a production committee and ingredients committee and equine committee. Um, and, and it's all with the general purpose and goal to get federal approval for, um, hip products into the feed, um, into the feed market. And so for those that don't know, um, we actually, the, the federal government, um, and state governments regulate feed products and feed ingredients more heavily than they do like human food products. And so the FDA has, you know, taken some broad strokes on some ingredients and until someone quote unquote, get sick or makes a claim, like a lot of things just fly under the radar and, and that's okay. And I, I think that that's fine because like we have to do that to get business going. But for some reason, they take a really strong approach to how they manage ingredients going into the feed supply chain. And, and the biggest concern from FDA CBM, and I know this just because I've been on a couple of submission calls where we- CBM is what, Morgan, so that uh, acronym? Yeah, it's the Center of Veterinary Medicine. And so it's like the FDA counterpart for animals. Um, 
and, and on some of the submission calls, their, their biggest concern is cannabinoids because it's the unknown, scary, mysterious thing that everyone still has a hard time wrapping their head around. And specifically the bioaccumulation of cannabinoids and tissue, milk, and eggs. Um, and so their biggest concern um, is, is that we're going to introduce an ingredient into the, the feed supply chain that is eventually going to make its way to your grandma or your grandchild and you're going to have a, you know, an adverse effect, but they're okay with you feeding your grandma and your grandkid the, the food directly. They just, you don't want it through your milk or eggs. Um, is that because it's a, this one cow assume that you're not a vegan. Okay. <clears throat> and somebody is going to eat cows like I do that, mm -hmm. that, that one cow has got a whole bunch of different people who could be drinking the milk or having the cheese or, eating the hamburger and eating the, you know, the prime rib all at once. And so therefore that one <laughs> cow or cows affect way more people than just me, myself, if I decide to put some hip hearts on my cereal in the morning. Yeah, that's probably a lot of it. You know what I mean? Because like, that's their role. And, and in most beautiful government programs, um, no one wants to be liable, right? Like they don't want to be the one that said like, well, I said it was okay. Um, and so like, and the frustrating thing when you look at it is like these, these standards didn't come into effect until the late fifties. I think it was like 1958. So every ingredient that has been consumed by animals, like up until that point just got grandfathered in. And so if cows like were eating sunflower seeds and they were doing it before 1958, then like they, no one had to go through a process to submit an ingredient. It was just assumed like, well, no one's died from it yet. I think we're okay. And, and we just went along our merry way. And so what's frustrating for hemp is that, well, we were feeding it to animals before 1958. And, and there's lots of documentation and historical data to point to um, hemp grain specifically as a, a really nutritious feed source. And yet they don't want to consider it into that clause to be grandfathered in. Um, and I guess I should talk about like why that is such a big deal because that submission that has to go before AFCO, which is CBA, FDA CBM, and we don't necessarily need to go into like all of that back office stuff, but they wanna see you submit a application per ingredient per species. And so like our very first submission was for hemp seed meal. So we couldn't just say hemp, we had to say hemp seed meal. And then we just couldn't say like chickens, we had to say laying hens specifically. And then along with that application, you had to have collect data from the U.S., so U.S. grown and U.S. processed ingredients. And then you had to have data from a study that had approved methods um, from FDA CBM that tested the efficacy and safety, and then you had to create a report. And so the number I like to say is every submission is about $250,000 because you're going to use probably thirty dollars to $50,000 in consulting fees because these, of course, these submissions are not easy and those reports are, are pretty robust, but then also you have to pay for the laboratory. You have to pay for the, the test itself, which is the most significant part. Um, and then you just have to get all the parties together and submit the, the application together. So it just takes a lot. Um, and that's why, you know, I think the Hemp Fee Coalition has such a broad, um, profile of, uh, of members because it's going to take a lot to get all of that done. Um, we're really proud to say that we got our first submission in last year 
and FDA is supposed to be getting back to us um, this summer. And that was, like I said, hemp seed meal for laying hens. Um, and so that ingredient definition that it, like, I think will be approved um, now allows us to freely enter the chicken feed market and allow us to um, share with those customers why hemp seed meal is such a great nutritious product. So that's the long and short of it. Um, there's a lot of different committees doing different things. Obviously, we want to try and submit as many applications as we can. And so if every application takes that much to do, you have to be just a lot of work has to be happening at the same time. So do you, do you think is it the kind of thing that when you're looking at it kind of in a matrix way of ultimate and court, this is coming from the co-op thought process, right, is how many people are going to generally consume whatever is coming off of that from that animal, right? I mean, so if they're, you know, you're probably not doing a whole lot of it to get started off with, with, you know, uh, Cornish game hens as yeah. quickly because there, there might not be as many people eating that as they would, you know, you know, goat meat's probably not, not real high on the list of yet, right? Because it's just not, it's, it's, it's the market thing for that. So you, do y'all kind of look at things like that to kind of figure out where you go or is it your donors to help you figure out, oh man, like, you know, if the so, American Cattle Association, you see what I'm saying? If they came to you and went, by golly, we want to know this right now. And they stroke the $250,000 check. Then that may be the way you go. Yeah. I mean, like money talks, like there's no denying that. And, sure. and it is challenging to find funds for these studies, but overall the matrix of priority has identified essentially like, okay, what is the largest volume of product at like that makes sense in feed? Because like hemp seed oil at this point, or like um, hemp protein at this point, you know, it's a pretty small volume compared to the hemp seed meal. And so from a, from my business standpoint, like I'm going to try and utilize that product at the highest margin um, consumer, which is a human consumption product. And so I don't feel like that makes that pushes hemp protein above like hemp meal or like hemp screenings. Um, because I think that I'll be able as a business to provide more value for my company selling hip protein into the human food supply chain. So, and that's not just my business. That's like the whole industry sure. we're talking about cold pressed hemp seed and whatnot. So that is one of the variables that plays in, in determining this priority list. Another is, um, like chickens were probably one of the first because they're the easiest to test their lifespan, you know, is, is so quick when you start getting into livestock and horses and things like that, you have to harvest these animals, right? And, and the lifespan of a, of a cow or the lifespan of a horse is far different than the lifespan of a chicken. And so you have to keep that in consideration when you're talking about, um, about those tests. And then also what's the value of the, of the, of the market, right? You know, if we're targeting llamas, well, is there enough llama people out there that are going to buy this product that justify uh, the cost in that. And so it's a multivariable matrix that helps us kind of narrow our focus. But absolutely, I think if someone came to Hempy Coalition and said like, hey, I want to get hemp seed oil approved for my horse and I'm going to write you a $250,000 check to do that. Well, by golly, I bet you everyone on that coalition is going to jump on that and we're going to do everything we can to make that happen. So. Sure. Awesome. Good, good, good. good thought. Hey, we got a question here. I don't know if you can see the chat button over there, but I don't mind uh, summarizing uh, Michael's good question, you know, and, and if I don't get this summarized right, Michael, then, then please let me know um, uh, if I, if we didn't, if I didn't sum it up right. But 
if the whole idea is about how from the feed ultimately goes through the animal, ultimately through the human, and they're worried about the cannabinoid piece, do you think internal to the FDA, they're waiting to do their own human cannabinoid stuff to figure out whether it's okay on what different amounts are, and then that might speed things up because they have that information now? So I, I guess like um, to clarify, like FDA CDM that helps pair with AFCO, right? They do that. They review, you submit your application to AFCO and FDA CBM is one of the reviewers of the submission um, right. and they give their recommendation to AFCO. And so they're not like a governing body on this in this in in this realm of of, uh, of products. The state's Department of Agriculture actually have authority, and so there's someone at your Department of Agriculture who actually is the one who's investigating ingredients. That's going to you know send letters, cease and desist letters. And so the FDA is just involved as like a, um, a you know as a reference, and they review a technical these expert, so to speak. I mean, they're providing the technical expertise to say. This is past our do with it what you wish, State Departments of Ag, but we think everything's okay with this particular product or something like that. Yeah, and, and I will say that like those ingredients, like in the human food supply, because they, they are also worried about the safety and efficacy for the animal, right? Like they don't want you killing a bunch of cats and things like that. So as equally as they are worried about the cannabinoids for the human consumption side, they're equally as concerned about the toxicity to the animals. And so that is something you do need to prove it. And I think that's well worth it, right? Like we do want to know that like, what is the limit if there is one to um, ingesting cannabinoids in these species? Like I've, I've heard of some concerning like levels of things. And so um, as far as like, you know, I think Mike's question of talking is like, do we think that if CBDs are approved in humans that like, we'll just be able to move through this? I don't think so. And that's unfortunate, but I will say that like in our conversations with CBD, CBM and FDA is like, they want us as an industry to help prove to them what is the toxic level of CBD. And, and you have to remember like FDA, at least in my point of view forever is like, you kind of picture this like huge group of people that like have all of this authority and power and like, I don't know, like I've always been very intimidated by the FDA, but like they are limited on their resources and their people. And while they have very, you know, sophisticated and expert level um, individuals on their team, they're also just a group of people that are limited by their bandwidth that they can do. And so when we get upset and frustrated with them about why they haven't come out about cannabinoids and this and that and the other, I think just remind yourself of like, they're just people like you and I that like at the end of the day only have so much that they can do in a day as well. Um, I don't think that's an excuse. I think that they have definitely neglected and, and need to provide guidance for CBD and, and humans food supply chains um, and just human consumption in general. I wish that they were a little more lenient on this feed thing because the likelihood and the chances of the risk and the hazard is far less than when you actually look at our human consumption of cannabinoids. Right. But, but this is just speaking from my experience of having spent time in the federal government world and, and dealing with folks who, you know, an aversion to risk and it's just huge. Yeah. Nobody wants to end up on 60 Minutes, right? I mean, be able to say, here's Miss Smith and here's her dead cat. And here's <laughs> the guy that told her that her dead cat was okay to eat this cat yeah. food and, and then 
some some gal named Morgan pushed us too hard to be able to get it approved. Yeah. Nobody's doing that, right? And so it's just a, it's a time thing. So I get that, unfortunately. But, you know, and let's keep in mind, too, even though this is kind of a smaller unit of the greater FDA's world, those regs still have to get implemented down at the state level. So yeah. just for example, I remember when I was there, this bill that you just referred to that the governor signed, I believe that day after I was there, you guys were headed uh, to the state capitol to go testify on, hey, what about animals that we're not eating right? yeah. or that are not in the, in, the, in the supply chain? Can't we go on and be able to feed them some help and be okay with that if, as long as there's not a consumption? So if you're a racing horse, right, or whatever, and that's what you're doing or dog or, you know, it, wasn't it something like that that they went ahead and, and that said, yes, we understand that's a carve out. So we'll go ahead and let that through while we're waiting on these other regs and guidance. Is that yeah, exactly. right or not? Yeah, so that's, as our company, like the Hemp Bee Coalition is, is moving for, forward on the federal approval because like our industry as a whole needs that federal approval and it's going to sure. take time. But our company was saying like, hey, like we got to do something in the meantime because like this, we can't wait for this. Let's go. And so um, we worked with a representative here and we specifically talked, you know, worked with the Department of Agriculture and got their, you know, their blessing on it of like, what if we propose language that our state, you know, allowed for those ingredients, hemp ingredients to be um, for pets, especially pets and horses. And so that, like you said, like no one's really worried because as a company, I don't really want to kill horses either, right? Like that doesn't, it's not really my best interest. Right. And so, um, and so that allows us to get into the market and create some revenue from these value added um, ingredients. And, and, you know, another thing that people forget is like, where I don't think give enough credit to is people have been eating and horses have been eating and animals have been eating this for decades. Like if we were trying to introduce an ingredient that like, a rock from Mars landed and I think it's going to be nutritious for my dog. I mean, I probably will kill my dog. And so like, this is an ingredient, even though like we don't see it here in the U S and it's new to us um, as, as agriculture, it's not new. Like it's been around and it is a nutritious product. Like it's the same thing as canola or flax or any of these other broadleaf oil seed crops. Like it's the same thing. Um, so I don't think we need to be intimidated as much as we are. So Gotcha. Let me ask this. And Carrie's got a question on the Q&A box down there, if you're able to click on that and, and, yeah. and be able to, to check that one out as well. But is there is there an effort from the coalition to try to be supportive on a state by state basis? If somebody wanted to replicate the Montana thing, like you would be there to show them what you did, but you're not deploying a whole bunch of folks to go to North Carolina and go to Utah and go to Ohio to try to replicate that on that level? Yeah, I think um, you know, that's definitely one of the top talking points that we're working on the next couple of board meetings because like we like the governor just signed into Montana two days ago. And so we're super excited. Like we're getting a press release out. Um, it's something that I think that states should, should look to Montana for that leadership. You know, I think that Montana has done a lot of things in the hemp space really well. Our, our hemp program, I think is one of the better ones. Um, but as far as like our company, like we definitely have said, Hey, like, we'll give you help, help give you the language. We'll get you in contact with the 
um, the right attorneys. We'll make sure that like you have all of our support because it only helps if more states recognize like, hey, there is this kind of middle ground that helps promote the industry, promotes um, the value. Like ultimately you're, you're providing more value for a crop that farmers are, are need that value. They need to see that return on investment um, to continue to perpetuate this crop and, and introduce it as a rotation crop. And so if we look at it like that, you know, the jobs, the revenue, the sales that could come from it, when, let's be clear, we can get all of these products across the border and like I can order today from the, from, you know, stores, even in other states, you know, um, and that revenue is going to those states and that country. And so let's bring it in house. Let's make sure that we um, capitalize where we can and absolutely, I think it'd be great to see other states follow suit. So, cool. Can you see Carrie's question there? Yeah. Um, so, Carrie asked if we had any findings of a pre-improved omegas. Um, they did. Have, so, I, I can't remember the specific values, but there was overall improvements in everything on the eggs except for I think it was uh, shell strength and um, one other value. It didn't decrease, but it didn't improve. And so omegas were one of those values that did see improvement. And so the test that was done over in Pennsylvania, um, a group called Crider, and, and they're pursuing their own um, uh, grass approval of this product. And they, had, they did inclusion rates of like five, 10, 15, and 20%. And then what were the, uh, you know, the results of that? And it was really positive and encouraging to see. And so absolutely, I think you're going to see hemp fed uh, laying eggs um, in the future. I think that there's a huge market demand for that. Um, I don't know, like it's up to those formulators now and those people that are really like chicken specialists to really dial in of like how you incorporate the ingredients and at what ration and yeah. things like that. So there's still some science that needs to be done behind it, but I'm sure there's a race, you know, I'm sure there's a race for who's going to get the first hip fed egg and in the high omega egg. Um, but it's a, it's a fantastic protein source. It's a pr fantastic, um, source of those essential fatty acids. Um, and I, I really like, it's definitely something we're pursuing. We're trying to talk to some formulators to just, you know, encourage and nudge it along of, of um, telling people how great this product is. So. Very, very cool. Awesome. All right. Any more questions I see popping in? I don't see any more coming this direction. So Morgan, tell us um, how we can find uh, more out about IND Hemp and how we can all join up and be a part of the Hemp Feed Coalition. Yeah. Well, um, socials are always great. You know, Instagram is, I think, a, a great way that people can keep track of each other. Uh, also, our website, indhemp.com. Uh, we try to do a good job and we're doing a better job of updating with blogs and things. We're a pretty lean crew. And, and so we do the best that we can. And um, I think we're hopefully growing into that and we'll have more on there. And then Hempy Coalition has a fantastic um, website. I think it's uh, hempycoalition.org. And they did it. They, they have a really great website. So um, check it out there. You can look to see how to become a member. Um, I would say for people that are like, you know, an expert in their field, let's say someone who like makes cat food or something like that, really try to engage. Um, just becoming a member obviously is great. It's a, it's a minimal due. I think it's a hundred bucks a year. Um, and you get access to all the information and, and this collaboration, but more than that is like, be a part of some of these committees, right? Hunter Buffington is the executive director and she's got a good staff that like um, can put you on the right committee. Uh, it's not super time consuming. I think they try for like one hour a month, 
Um, and you also just get access to all of these great people who have a common goal and you can work towards something. Um, and so it's, it's not, I always say like the hundred bucks is great, but what we love more is that like input and that expertise and people who are um, willing to do some of the, you know, the sweat, um, the labor that it takes to make some of this happen. So. Absolutely. I'm waiting on my committee assignment now. So I know oh. at any minute I'm watching my inbox because I know it's coming at some point in time to be a Good. part of it. Well, it's really great, I think, just from an industry perspective to know that, again, this is one of those efforts where it is the rising tide trying to lift all the boats. And you, y'all have found an issue, a problem, a thing that needs to be addressed and fixed. And you're going about it as best way as you can, but you're doing it from an industry group that wants to get things done. And that's why you've ask for different voices and different experiences that come in from different places that all can be touched by this one particular issue on, on the whole idea about feed. So I'm going to guess, even though you have this great chemical engineering degree, and even though you have spent time in, in production ag and all of that, I'm just going to bet you learned a whole lot about how uh, feed gets regulated uh, than you ever knew before you got started. So oh goodness, no matter yes. what your expertise is, you could be just a regular old, you know, uh, history major like me and still be able to, to, to jump in and, and help out. Right. Yeah, so absolutely. All calm. Right. Terrific. Absolutely. Morgan, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for everything that y'all do up there, what you're doing for the industry as well and for helping to uh, share more of the experience of, of the good things that you're doing. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thanks, Nick, for having me on here. I appreciate okay. it. Okay. Take Bye. care. And look, next week we have um, our uh, regular monthly legal update with the folks at Bradley Arant uh, Law Firm. They are going to talk specifically on banking and finance and why is it I can't open up a checking account <laughs> if the name of, of my checking of my company has hemp in it? What the heck is going on and how does all that work? So that's going to be their focus for our, our webinar for next week as well. Thanks, Morgan. Say hello Thanks, to Nick. everybody up there. Okay. Will do. See ya. Take care. Bye. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.